thought for a second y'all were going to sing that again. That's fantastic. It is a blessing to have everybody with us. At this time, I will dismiss any children that need to go to Children's Church. You see Miss Amy to my left and your right, and uh, she would love to have the kids in there. She's doing a great job with our children's ministry, and it's been great to see uh, new families come with kids, but it's also great to see kids who are making decisions for Jesus, and obviously we celebrate that. Before I get into anything uh, else, let me share with you just a little bit, deal with the things that matter most. This past Sunday, there were a couple of individuals who responded to God's grace, making a decision to follow Jesus Christ in our services. In fact, there were two other individuals who also, um, they, they renewed their faith in Christ, all in preparation of the coming day uh, where we will stand before the Lord. In addition, this past Wednesday morning, my daughter and her friend were able to share the gospel with another young lady at Daniel High School. And the result of that, that young lady made a decision to follow Jesus Christ as her personal Savior. I don't know if you realize this, but that is what matters most, is people finding Jesus Christ. And we ought to be able to celebrate when things like that happen. So I celebrate today the the individuals who have made these decisions for Christ. That's what this ministry is all about. We want to see people surrender their lives to Christ and become all that God would have them be. So I praise the Lord this morning. Remember that our goal this year is to see 53 people receive Christ. That's one for every Sunday of the year. But I want us to actually blow that number out of the water. So I ask you, who will you share Jesus with this week? Who will you invite to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, whether it be here at the church or maybe in your home even, where you get the opportunity to tell others what Jesus Christ has done for you? That's what this church is here for, is to reach those who are lost. I was reading this week from an author who stated that one of the greatest aspects of of God's people leading their friends to Christ is the natural relationship that will occur within that gospel presentation. It's not as if the relationship somehow comes to an end just because Jesus has now given their life to Christ. Instead, you then have the privilege of walking alongside them, these new believer friends, and helping them to become more like Jesus Christ. What an incredible privilege all of us have been gifted with. So, I just begin today by encouraging you to share the gospel with the people that you love. I didn't get into it last week because of time, but you know, one of the greatest parts of the coming of Jesus Christ, we talked about making sure that we are ready. We talked about the excitement of knowing that there is a Savior that awaits us. But more than that, for me today, is I have loved ones who do not know Jesus. And if you have loved ones who don't know Jesus, Today is the day to share. If we believe Jesus is coming back, what are we going to do about it? Are we going to tell other people? And hopefully we will. So I encourage you to share the gospel with others. It may be the most important thing that you do this week. So all that was leading up to the message this morning. I know that we've already said it, but in case you haven't heard it yet, happy Mother's Day. Many of the greatest people that I know have been mothers. Uh, The role of a mother is immeasurable. Y'all have heard me share it on many occasions, but I am incredibly grateful for my mom. 
I'm certain, and I know all of y'all probably wish that y'all could stand up and talk about your mom, but I'm the pastor, so I get to. I know for certain that I would not be where I am today without the godly influence of my mom. And I would imagine that all of you probably can relate in some way. I'm especially blessed because I also get to see my wife serving as a great mother to our children. And Mother's Day is an important day in our household and in our family. You know, being a mother requires much more than just giving birth to a child. Certainly, that can be a part of your journey, but that isn't even always the case. Some people become moms by way of adoption or foster care. Others simply by loving on the people around them. But being a mother also requires a daily decision to live selflessly, always putting the needs of other people first. It means getting up in the middle of the night to take care of those who cannot take care of themselves. Sometimes it's the kids, sometimes it's the husband, but we thank you for it. It means being on call 24 hours a day to feed, to clean, to chauffeur, and just to love on the people God has placed in your life. And it will mean serving as both a counselor and a teacher. A mom's role is never completed. In fact, it has been said that motherhood is the most difficult volunteer position in the world, loaded with stress and hardship, but also the most rewarding, as they get to see their children grow up and change the world. And I believe that that statement is correct. In fact, I will confirm that neither my wife nor myself had any gray hair before we had children. Now, some would suggest that it's just because of our age, but all I know for sure is that we didn't have it before and we do now. So I know that being a parent can be a very difficult thing, but it is so worthwhile when you begin to see your children become the people that they ought to be. Most importantly, motherhood done right will also mean making sure that you are constantly pointing your children to Jesus Christ. I spoke with another Wesleyan pastor this week, and he was planning on doing a baby dedication in their service this morning. He was concerned because the truth is that the mom and dad of this baby have not been living for the Lord. And he wasn't sure how to handle things because the reality is when you dedicate a child back to the Lord, it is more than just a ritual. I encouraged him to sit down with this, mom, with this mom and dad prior to the service today and to share that with them, what a baby dedication is really about. It's not just some magical ritual that makes your kids right with God. Instead, it is a declaration from mom and dad. First of all, that we recognize that this child is a gift from God. But the second part of it is also a declaration that we are going to do everything we can to raise this child to follow Jesus Christ. That can't be done correctly unless mom and dad are willing to make this a daily priority for themselves. Sunday morning is not enough. You cannot be that godly mother only on Sunday and Monday through Saturday. You choose to live 
some way other than Jesus Christ would have you live. A true baby dedication. If you want it to be more than just a ritual, it requires a complete lifestyle makeover by both mom and dad. So since today is the day that we've set aside to appreciate our moms, I simply say a hearty thank you to each of the moms who are present here today. I can think of no more noble role than to be a mom. If your mom is still alive today, I encourage you to reach out to her at some point throughout the day and express your own appreciation for her. I guarantee you, you would not be where you are today without her. And if your mom is no longer with us, then I encourage you to take a moment today and thank the Lord for the mom that he placed in your life. There is no doubt that we will never know the full impact of the love that they have for us. Now, I'm going to stretch you just a little bit for a moment. I've been talking about mothers, and I just told you how grateful I am for a mother's love. And it has been argued that a mother's love is a perfect kind of love. But I would suggest that it is almost perfect. No matter how great a mother's love is, it is naturally tainted by the imperfection of humanity. A perfect kind of love is what flows only from God himself. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Now that is a great kind of selfless love. Last week, we talked about the fact that there is coming a day when we will see the one who loves us like that face to face. But until that day comes, we must all run faithfully in a race with him standing at the finish line, longing to celebrate with us. Have you ever run in a race and you see people at the end of the race crowding around so excited about those who are going to cross the finish line and then when they do, they rejoice and they celebrate together. That is what God will do when we cross that finish line. For each of the next two Sundays, I want us to look at this race that we find ourselves running. Next week, we'll talk about the fact that there are others that we ought to be bringing with us on this race. But this week, I want us to focus on the fact that there is only one way to win this race. And there's certainly no participation trophies. We live in a world where everybody gets a trophy. Everybody gets a prize. But I want you to know that there is no such thing as a participation trophy in this race. Only those who will cross the finish line can win. Today, our primary text is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24 to 27. If you want to turn to it, I welcome you to do so. If not, I want you to at least listen to it for a moment. Again, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 through 27. This is what it says. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last. But we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. 
I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. There are so many different things in this passage. And actually, I used to work at a gym that was owned by a Christian family. And they had these verses posted on their wall when you came in. The first thing that we see today is that the race is on. This passage begins by talking about a race where runners run, and they are instructed to run in such a way as to get the prize. Did you know there are some people that run in such a way they're not really expecting to get the prize? But we are to run. You know, there are some people that run just for the sake of running. I'll be honest with you, that's the craziest thing I've ever heard in my life. I mean, I love the idea of running, but give me a reason to run. Some will run because they're being chased by a dog, and I get that. You run because you don't want that dog to catch you. Others will run towards something. I read an article about a police officer this week who ran toward the sound of gunshots in hope of stopping a shooter in a mall in Texas. I remember on 9-11, there were hundreds of police officers and firefighters who ran into a crumbling building merely for the hope of being able to rescue more people. Those are great examples of people running for a purpose. Then you have those who run in preparation for a prize. Maybe that prize is weight loss, or maybe it's just being better having better physical fitness, or maybe it's an actual race. I've often threatened that I would participate in a 5K, but I've never acted upon that threat. I think that there's a part of me that is afraid to find out exactly how out of shape I really am, and therefore I've never really signed up for one. But we all have a race to run. In fact, it's a race that many others have run long before even we knew that there was such a race out there. Hebrews 12.1 tells us that since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us and let us run with perseverance the race marked out before us. That great cloud of witnesses includes all the saints that were mentioned just one chapter earlier in Hebrews chapter 11. And they've been running that race for a long time. Well, we now are instructed to join them in this race. In fact, it would seem that every individual who has put their trust in Jesus Christ has become a participant in this race. In the words of Isaiah 40, verse 31, we read, But for those whose hope is in the Lord, they will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. I want to pause for a moment and challenge you in this. Are you running this race? You know, we're talking about running a race, and it just makes sense that we're all supposed to participate in it. But not everyone who shows up to the race is a runner. Some of us are fans. We are observing and we are cheering on those who are running the race. But according to that verse that I just read to you from Isaiah, those who hope in the Lord 
will run. Now, I get it. Sometimes you feel like you're running constantly uphill and the progress seems slow. But at some point, you've got to be able to look up and see that you're moving in the right direction. Are you running or are you standing still? My question is not for those outside the church this morning. My question is for you as the body of Christ. Far too many of us have shown up to the race and we're enjoying the race. We are watching it. We are cheering others on. But too many of us are not running. You know, Jesus called on his disciples to be fishers of men. Then he called us to walk in their footsteps. My guess is that most of us would probably define ourselves as fishers of men. But when was the last time you actually went fishing for men? Some of you ladies have been doing it a lot. That's not what I'm talking about. When was the last time we participated as fishers of men? And most of us would probably define ourselves as runners in this race called faith. But are we moving closer to the finish line. I get it, the finish line seems to be moving closer to us, but are we running toward him? Maybe you've stopped to catch your breath. I get it. Maybe you needed some water. Maybe you had a fall. Maybe you got injured. Break time is over. It is time to get back into the race. Let's run this race together. The next thing I want you to see is that winning the race doesn't happen by chance. It doesn't happen just because you're naturally gifted, although sometimes we highlight people because of their giftedness. We see individuals who they can talk and everybody is just enamored by them. Other people are gifted with musical abilities and we think, wow, I wish that was me. And so often we notice the giftedness of an individual But let me suggest that just being gifted will not allow you to finish the race. Winning the race will require preparation and training. Again, listen to verse 25. I read it to you already. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last. But we do it to get a crown that will last forever. As Paul wrote this, His original audience would likely have thought about the games that were already taking place in Greece and Rome. Athletes who would prepare for months on end, leading up to a race that might only last a few seconds or minutes. I remember when we were living in Colorado Springs, we would often see Olympic athletes out running in preparation for the games. The U.S. Olympic Training Center is located there in Colorado Springs, and it really is a perfect environment, a perfect place for physical training as the air is thinner. And if the athlete can master the conditions in an altitude like that, then they will have no problems in an easier setting. But in preparation for the big event, they would subject their bodies to strict training to strict dieting, and to strict sleep patterns. I'll tell you, I understand why runners do that, but one of the things I found so intriguing was it wasn't just the runners. Anyone who participates in the games has to prepare for it. I was talking with one of the guys. He was an Olympic athlete. He was participating in archery. I met him while he was out running one day. 
and I asked him how much physical fitness is actually required of archery. It doesn't seem like it should be. But according to him, regardless of what event you are participating in, you must prepare and prepare well. What's ironic to me is that they would pour themselves in to getting this crown, but they are fighting for a crown that will not last. How much more so should we give toward receiving a crown that will last forever? Paul writes in 1 Timothy 4.8 that there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. He's talking about you and me. Now, for the Olympic athlete, they know what the training regiment will look like. They know what is required of them if they are to be successful. But what does that training regimen look like for you and me? I know that this is not new for any of us, but it begins with faithful training in the word. It includes regular time in prayer. It includes being involved in the life of the church, engaging in Bible studies and small groups and other fellowship or discipleship opportunities. The idea is that if you surround yourself with other runners in that race, then you can help push each other along as you run. So I challenge you, let's begin here. If you're not in the word, you're not training for the race. If you're not spending time regularly in prayer, you are not training for the race. I know we pray because there's a crisis sitting in front of us, but we ought to pray continuously, to pray without ceasing. God has called us to do so. And what that means is we can't do this half-heartedly. It has to be intentional. But that last thing that I mentioned was the need for us to be involved, to have others alongside us in this race. My high school football team did not have tryouts. Instead, everybody made the team. I don't know how it works here because I've yet to, uh, Andrew was with the football team for just a little while as a freshman. I know that for us, everybody made the team. That being said, you were not allowed to play until you had completed a 300-yard run in a certain time. Now, I will tell you, it wasn't really just a 300-yard run. Instead, it was a 25-yard run across the court and then back. And then you had to do that a total of six times. Now, it wasn't just completing that 300-yard run. The position which you would be playing determined the required time for the run. For example, if you were a lineman, then you could run a much slower time. It didn't require as much. But if you wanted to be a re wide receiver, a defensive back, then you had to be pretty quick. Unfortunately, I was not smart enough to be a lineman. Instead, I had to run that 300, it was just called a 300 at that point, every single morning until I was able to get it. But when I would run by myself, my time was never as fast as when I had somebody else running alongside me. That's because we pushed each other. You start to drag and you see the other guy moving a little forward. So you start pushing yourself because you want to be able to keep up with those around you. 
And that's the way the Christian faith is supposed to be. We run better when we run with each other. The point is that if you want to win this race, you need to be actively training. Too many of us got excited because we got in the race, and then we started acting like that was all this was about, was getting in the race. I don't know about you, but I didn't run just for the sake of running. I want to win the prize. I want to cross the finish line. We need to get into the Word. We need to spend time in prayer, and then we need to get involved in the life of the church. But this is more than just some random training. There needs to be discipline. I just gave you some tools to use in training and preparation, but what if you don't have anybody to run with you? What if you're hitting the spiritual gym every morning and it seems like you're the only one there? Listen to me for a moment. If you really want the prize, you cannot let loneliness keep you from doing what you need to do. You may run with a crowd of people, but if you are the only one to finish, then you still need to finish. You have a goal. Achieve that goal. Or how many of us have made New, Year, New Year's resolutions about getting healthy at some point or another? We went to buy a gym membership. We signed up with Weight Watchers, and we stopped drinking sodas, and we started hitting it hard but then something else came up along the way. Maybe we had a busy week at work. Maybe we got sick. Maybe the weather just wasn't nice because sometimes that's all it takes to get us out of the gym. Whatever it was, we stopped doing what we were doing. And then once we were out of the habit, we found it incredibly hard to get back into it. You know what? For some of us, that's happened just with church. We get out of the habit and it's easy to stay out of the habit. Maybe it's not that you've completely given up on anything. We just decided to try something different. We know that what we're doing is working, but it's hard. Maybe there's an easier way. But God calls us to discipline. Can you imagine quitting something just because it's too hard? Don't raise your hands, but I imagine many of the people in this room have done that. Later today, one of the ladies from our church is scheduled to be induced. Of course, I'm talking about Pastor Colby and his wife, Taylor. Taylor has endured nine months of pregnancy, and rumor has it that the birthing process can be rather uncomfortable. I don't know if it's true, but that's what they say. Now, can you all imagine Taylor just giving up today simply because it's too hard? That would be foolishness. You've made it this far. You're so close to this beautiful blessing of being able to hold your newborn child in your hands. There is no way that Colby and Taylor would give up now, even though it's hard. Philippians 3.14 says that I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. And we must press on if we are to finish this race. This is about discipline. It's not enough that we got into the race. We need to cross that finish line. And we can't afford to get weary or distracted because far too often those who get off track will never re-enter the race. That's what Paul is talking about in Galatians 5-7 when he says you were 
running a good race, who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? He's talking about people who have no doubt started to run this race. He's talking about the church, the body of Christ. But somewhere along the way, they have lost the drive. They have forgotten what they were running for in the first place. And in a manner, this is what we were talking about this past Sunday. Do you remember what you were running for? Do you remember what our hope truly is? I run this race realizing that one day I will be welcomed into his presence. Years ago, I stepped into this race, but one day I will cross that finish line. And when I do, I will receive a prize that is far greater than anything that this world could ever offer me. Verse 27 talks about not being disqualified for the prize. There are two things that I want you to see regarding this. First, it is possible to be disqualified, although there are those who would say that it's not. The unfortunate reality is that there will be many who will enter the race, yet they will not play by the rules. For example, let me give you some real people who have done this. In 1980, a lady named Rosie Ruiz was disqualified after winning the Boston Marathon. After she won. So in other words, she thought she had it. She was the first woman to cross the finish line. Yet she did not run the entire race. At some point along the way, she exited the race course, got on her bike, and rode it until she neared the finish line. Then she tossed her bike to the side and completed the race. That's called cheating. And therefore, she was disqualified. Or consider Rob Sloan. In 2011, he ran in what is known as the Kielder Marathon. It's located in England. He finished third. I'm going to tell you, if I'm going to cheat, I am not finishing third. I don't understand that, but he finished third. But witnesses would claim to see him boarding a bus as he neared the 20-mile marker. A marathon is 26.2 miles. Six miles later... He exited the bus and re-entered the race. The result is a disqualification. If you want to finish the race, you must play by the rules. You cannot try to find some other way to get around the course. But the second part of this is that there truly is a great prize that awaits all of us who will remain disciplined along this faith race. That's what we read about in Acts chapter 20, verse 24. It says, however, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. The task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Can you imagine a heart like that? I consider my life worth nothing. That means that I no longer live for my wants or my desires because the prize that I can earn on my own will only lead to disappointment. Instead, my only aim is to finish the race that I have already 
begun. I've had the privilege to be with many people who as they neared the end of their lives, there were sometimes it was a great blessing, sometimes not so much. On those occasions where it was an overwhelmingly joyous event, I remember one day as an elderly lady, a mother in our church in Pennsylvania, she was nearing death. She had been so faithful. She gave herself wholly to the Lord, and it was evident in the family that she was leaving behind. She was leaving an incredible legacy that would live on far after she was gone. Shortly before her passing, she quoted 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7, a verse that seems so profound and accurate because of the way she had lived her life. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. I want you to know that indeed she had finished that race and she had kept the faith. And I long for the day when my race comes to an end. And when that day comes, I believe that there will be great rejoicing, a great celebration among those who have also made it across the finish line. Now, I entitled this message, One Winner. And that's because nobody else can cross the finish line for you. Some of y'all probably saw me holding this earlier and you wondered what this was for. It's called a baton. And a baton is what usually is used when there are multiple runners in a race. Often there'll be a relay where one individual will run 400 yards and another will run 400, another will run 400. And as they get ready to hand it off, the baton is taken by the next guy. And what's most important is that each one is responsible to do their part. If one of them runs the 400 and they kill it and they're amazing and everybody else is thinking, wow, that's great. And then the next guy takes it and just kind of jogs along. They're in trouble. I want you to know today that every one of us is a part of this race. And it is incredibly important that all of us run this race. But at some point or another, you are going to have to cross the line. And when you cross that line, it won't matter what everybody else has done. Have any of you ever had someone who disappointed you with their faith? The way they lived didn't measure up to what you expected of those who are in the body of Christ. Maybe it was a pastor, a teacher, a family member, a friend, a spouse. I want you to know that regardless of how other people run, there is coming a day where you will have to cross that finish line. You can't blame anyone else. When you go to cross that line, the Lord's not going to look at you and say, so how come you didn't cross the line? You can't say, well, it's because it's because that guy, he didn't run his part in the race. He didn't do his party. He didn't keep up the pace that everybody else was trying to keep up. It's not my fault that we didn't finish the race. No, either you finish or you don't, and it will fall on you. The only one who wins this race is the one who has placed their faith solely in Jesus Christ, the one who has run with perseverance, the race marked out for us, the one who has kept his eyes or her eyes on the prize. You're not getting in because somebody else ran the race for you. And this is a sad thing, but I've talked to so many believers 
and I use that term loosely, individuals who would define themselves as children of God and you ask them where their faith comes from or what is it that makes them a Christian. And I have heard individuals specifically tell me, well, my mom was a Christian. My grandparents have been Christians. I guess, I guess we, we just always are Christians. No, you must make the decision to follow Jesus Christ. That is you entering the race. And now that you are in the race, you must now run that race, expecting to finish that race. There are too many of us that are really well-intentioned. And we just assume that because other people are in the race, that we're in the race. I have stood on the sidelines and watched other people race. That does not make me a runner. The same is true for our faith. You're not getting in because someone else ran the race for you. Only you can finish that race, but you must. The question I ask today is whether you are willing to run. My hope, my prayer is that every person in this room is also running a race. If you're standing still, what's wrong? Today is the day to step up and start running again. If you would bow your heads with me. Father, as we come before you today, Lord, we're grateful that there is a race. We're grateful that there is a way for us to reach the finish line. Thank you for inviting us into this race. Lord, I pray today that you would allow each of us to be disciplined and committed to this race. Help us to see that finish line, to know that there is something that awaits us on the other side. Father, I pray today that you would call people back into the race. Some of us have gotten tired. Maybe we got hurt, maybe by someone else even in the race, and we stopped running. Maybe we got distracted because we saw other things that caught our attention. Whatever it was, we took our eyes off the prize. But I pray today that you would help us to once again run a race so that we have a chance to win. Father, I pray for each one of us that we would constantly look forward to that day where we will cross the finish line and be welcomed by you. We give you praise for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I close. Some of you are thinking that means he's, he's done. I close with a word of prayer, but I have something else. It's just a brief story to close with this morning. There's a lady who set, to, set out to uh, swim uh, the, the channel that basically uh, connects Russia and Alaska. Uh, there is a channel. It's a relatively long channel. My guess is the water is very cold as well. That being said, uh, as she set out to cross that channel, uh, it was a foggy morning. She began to swim, and there was actually a boat that went alongside her, basically to make sure that if there were any uh, sharks or anything else close by, that they could defend her. If she were to get to the point that she was laboring, they could actually pull her back into the boat. On this foggy morning, she began to swim across this channel. As she swam across the channel, the fog never let up. She swam for hours. Finally, Unable to see anything but fog, she cried out to those on the boat to pull her in. She wasn't going to make it. They pulled her into the boat, and then only afterwards she realized she was only about 30 yards from reaching the shore. She didn't know because she couldn't see the finish line. The fog was too thick. I believe today that there are many in the body of Christ 
who no longer see the finish line, no longer realize how close we are to the end. And I simply challenge you, press on. Continue to press on until you reach the end. By the way, she did go back on a clear day and she swam the length of that channel. She did complete the task. Maybe you've given up. It's time to get back in and let's finish it this time. Such a blessing to have you with us. Happy Mother's Day. I am so grateful for each of you. I told someone, my sermon's done. I'm just adding. Um, I told someone this week, and I mean it, um, the people that I value most are the ones that love on my family. Some of y'all are not my kid's mother. In fact, none of y'all are my kid's mother. But y'all have served in a role where my kids look at you and they see you as motherly figures. Thank you. Thank you for the way you love on my family. And I thank you for the way you love on those around you. That's what the body of Christ is supposed to be like. That's what the selfless love of a mother looks like. Thank you for being with us this morning. Go in peace and go love somebody.